so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. You're listening to Uncommon Thinking, a podcast from Advertising Week. In this episode, originally recorded at Advertising Week New York 2021, we join CNN news anchor Don Lemon and Cargo's founder and CEO Harry Kargman in an inspiring conversation. We dive deep into Don's personal journey and the broader responsibility we have as an industry in supporting free press, independent media, and an enlightened America. I hope you enjoy this episode. You can hear that you, when you're over 30. You go, uh, I know my back. Every time, my yeah, back, my, back. my eyes. Yes. It's like only lasts like two or three years. Yes. I don't know what's going on. You're, well, it's called age. I, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> um, so this session, I mean, most people here and people listening in the, on the streaming uh, audience side know you from TV. I mean, you are in our homes every night. Or the internet. Uh, little clips, memes. Yeah, little clips, yeah. little memes. But you, you are like part of the family. But um, I don't know that people know you. They, they know what you're talking about. They know the things that you cover. Yeah. But they don't really know about you as a person. I mean, you've had two great books. You have a number one New York Times bestseller yeah. talking about racism. But, you know, I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about you as an individual, um, as one of the most recognized people on TV, and when we were catching up, you said, listen, I'm not an overnight success. This was all really hard work. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got here? A 30-year overnight sensation, right? Uh, 30 years. <laughs> um, wow. So good morning, everybody. Good to see you here, especially with COVID and all masked up and, and vaccinated. Um, well, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana as this little kid who, you know, who had um, big teeth and pointy ears and um, body didn't really fit. And I had this secret that I was gay and on and on. And I came from very humble beginnings. And I, um, long story short, I went to LSU. My, my journalism professor told me that I would never make it as a journalist. I left Louisiana because of the racism, because of the lack of opportunity. I moved to New York City with $200. I know that's an old cliche story, but it's straight $200, an 87 Jeep Wrangler, everything that I could fit in my 87 Jeep Wrangler. Um, and I started working. I took a job. Um, at WNYW Fox 5 on the Upper East and, Side. And it was Fox. You, Fox. you started out at Fox. At a Fox station. This was before Fox News Network. This, I saw the beginnings of the Fox News and in some ways probably contributed to the success of, Fo of Fox News, or at least the launching, I shouldn't say success, the launching of Fox News because it was a Fox News exchange from all of the owned and operated Fox stations around the country where we would exchange news stories. This is, again, before Fox News Channel. Um, $5 an hour as a trainee, six-month, a contract as a trainee in the newsroom, making five bucks an hour below the poverty level. I had lived in a sublet in Astoria, Queens for 360 some dollars a month. Um, that's how old were you when you did all that? And I went, to school, I went to school at Brooklyn College to get finished my degree that I didn't finish at LSU. I was in my 20s, and I didn't actually start on air until I was almost 30. So I worked there for five years as a, I started as a trainee in the newsroom, um, a desk assistant, a production assistant, satellite feeds coordinator, uh, writer for the 10 p.m. news with John Rowland and Coran Mahalik. 
um, and Rosanna Scotto. Um, Love her. And then I became the assignment editor, and that's how I built my tape. And then I went around the country from New York to Birmingham to St. Louis to Philadelphia, New York as a correspondent for NBC News, Chicago as a main anchor, um, to Atlanta for CNN, and then back here to New York. And here I am. Amazing. Yeah, 1991. So, you know, for people who are... This is my anniversary in the business. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even realize it. 2021. Yeah. Um, When people think about that journey, you know, and you're talking about, you know, aspiring people in media, uh, people that potentially want to be on-air personalities, what would the advice that you'd give them when you think back about that? For people who want to be on the air? Yeah, or or in news. Well, look, it's um, two things, or maybe more. It's not a glamorous job. People think it's glamorous. I mean, there are some perks that you get, you know, walk in here and people say, oh my gosh, I watch you all the time, which is great for your ego if, if you're into that sort of thing. But um, I work a lot. I mean, I had to move closer to work on purpose because of how the business is changing with streaming and podcasts and all of that. So I need to be close to the place where I have to do business. So I had to do that. It's not, I work, you know, I start work you know, in the morning with notes about, you know, we just had our network meeting, blah, 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 blah. This, is, this is the news, this is available, Colin Powell, you know, on and on and on. Colin Powell, God rest his soul, right? And so, um, um, I, you know, it's hard work. But my advice is always to work hard, you know, believe in yourself, work hard, something else, work hard. Don't, don't not be concerned of what people think about you. So I say, work hard, the cream always rises. Don't be concerned what people think about you. You have to forget about social media in the sense of the criticism. Um, but then you can also use social media to your benefit. I would say those are the two things. Be ready to work your butt off. Your ass off. Can I say ass? Okay. Yes. Be ready to work your ass off. Be ready to not make a lot of money, um, when you're, especially when you're starting out. And um, it's, it's tough. It's even tougher now because, you know, it's... The networks are shrinking. Cable news, networks, audience is shrinking. And we're gaining audience in other places, but it's not necessarily in the traditional sense of a television audience. We have more viewers and more subscribers in area than ever because of these you know, things, things yep. like this, but it's not necessarily on the big box that people are used to watching things on my microphone. You're multi-screen. I think I'm fine, yeah. Um, so when you think about how you got here, yeah. who are the people that inspired you? Like, well, I was inspired by a lot of people. I, I, well, I was inspired to become a television um, news person by a local news anchor named Jean West. She was on my television, and I, she looked like me. She sounded like me. It was the first representation of a black person who actually looked and sounded like my family. She was a local news anchor in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Other than when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was kind of dynamite, like Jimmy J.J. Walker, that kind of thing that yeah. you would see people... I love Jimmy, JJ, I love Florida Evans, I loved all of that, but it wasn't necessarily representative of, of me. I mean, I didn't grow up in Chicago in a project. I grew up in a fairly middle-class neighborhood in a suburban street and that sort of thing. And not until the Cosby show came on that we started to see different representations of, of black people on television. So Gene West was really the first person I said, I was like, wow. And then I, I always as a kid, I was always curious and asking questions all the time, all the time, all the time. And I write about it in my first book, Transparent, that my, I would go over to different tables at restaurants and just go talk to 
to people. If we were at an event and I was with my mom, I would just go talk to people. And my mom would say, come back. And my dad would say, don't teach him to be afraid of people. So I was always asking questions and I wanted to know why things worked and why things were the way they were, are the way they are. And that's what happened. That's how I became a, a journalist. And I stopped doing, at first I wanted to be an attorney. My dad was an attorney and I was like, I, don't, I, I started off economics at LSU. And I'm like, I don't want to do this, this is boring. So then I went to the journalism program. and I was You'd all, be great in the courtroom. I, I, maybe that's next. Who knows? Maybe I'll become an attorney. Well, some people have said that you were potentially going to run for politics. Uh, people have asked me. I have never been asked over the last five years more to run for president. People ask me, are you going to run? You run for mayor, run for senator, run. But the most, they always ask me, my fiance sitting in the back of the room, raise your hand, hi, Tim. He's like, don't do this. <laughs> don't, do people, don't people ask me to run for president all the time? They're like, you, you have to run. I'm like, are you crazy? Who the hell wants to be president of the United States? For what? I have a great life. Like last night, last night I walked from here at, in Hudson Yards to um, the uh, Ricky Martin and uh, Enrique Iglesias yeah. concert. I had the best time. People were stopping me and asking me for pictures. But can you imagine? I couldn't do that if I was president. Never. No, I want to go and shake your bomb, bomb, shake your bomb, bomb, or whatever with Ricky Martin. So you could bring him to the White House. I, I could bring Ricky Martin to the White House. I'll text him and tell him to come to the White House. But can you imagine Tim would be the first, first, I don't know, what would you call it? First gentleman. No, the first husband, gay husband. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> would you guys vote for me? Don't even so, think hold about on, it. hold on, hold on. Actually, actually, and this is, we talked about this. We talked about this. Yes, sir. You say that the news paint you, paints you in the liberal corner. Yes. But I'm you a, are not in the liberal corner. I'm not. So why don't you share a little bit about well, your thoughts on that front? Uh, because, well, look, before Trump, people thought, people thought that I was, um, you know, some conservative you know, black guy. Oh, you got a black conservative on CNN and he's the only black person in prime time on a cable news network. How great. And I'm like, okay, that's not true. But, and then after Trump, it's like, oh, you're a certain leaning, left leaning liberal. Um, it's because people believe, um, number one, what, what reconfirms their own beliefs. But number two, they, be, they believe the picture that other people paint of me. And if you disagree with any sort of narrative on any sort of side, ideologically or as, as it you know, has to deal with ethnicity or race, then all of a sudden you become something other than what they want you to be. So my job as a journalist is to tell the truth. So if I'm telling the truth and it doesn't fit your particular narrative or the truth is not on your side, then of course someone from you know, the, a conservative or the, the Trump administration is going to say, he's a lefty liberal. You can't believe anything he says. He's wrong. And that's how you paint me. Because the truth wasn't like, listen, the last administration had a tough time telling the truth. Yeah. My job is to tell the truth. They were, you know, they had uh, truth, I don't know what you, what you call it. Um, truth, they were allergic. They were truth allergic, truth phobic. They wanted so, to re engineer the yeah, truth. Anytime, anytime you pointed that out, the criticism in order to undercut your credibility uh, is to say that you were lying and that you were a lefty, right? And so, um, you know, my job is to tell the truth. So people paint me as this. I'm not. I'm an independent. I'm a registered independent. I don't really like or believe in political parties. I know that's how our system works. I'm not necessarily sure it is the best thing for us because a lot of people get um, left out of the mix and who should be in the political mix just because of the way we elect, especially presidents in this country and where we start out. We start out, I mean, honestly, like in the whitest places. 
in, in the country. And totally. we're trying to elect America's, look at the diversity. There's diversity all around us. And so, you know, I think that that's why I'm not crazy about political parties, but I'm not a lefty and I'm not a righty. I'm an American. I think most people are that way. I think there's a radical middle who just want things to get done and to stop with all of the, um, the fringes of ideology because it's really holding us back. Look what's happening in Washington now. We have, yeah. Listen, everyone should be concerned about money, but we need infrastructure and not just roads and bridges. We need broadband. We need that to help educate people who are in places that don't have broadband in rural areas. So many, like many times people vote against their own interests because they don't understand things because they're being led astray by, by um, co-opted by politicians who have taken advantage of their, you know, lack of knowledge. So, yeah. Are there things on the liberal side that you find abhorrent as well? I think, yes. I, look, I think that, I don't find, I'm, not, I'm not saying abhorrent. Quite honestly, and I've said this on the air, I think that the only party that's operating in reality right now is the Democratic Party. I'm not a Democrat, but that's the only party operating in reality. And so it's up to them to save the democracy and the republic. And they're, quite honestly, they're not, I don't know if they see the urgency in it. They're not living up to it. They're not doing a good job. My criticism of a Democratic Party would be to get your ass in gear. And to understand that our democracy is not only um, in, uh, there's not only a threat happening to our democracy, it is in peril. We are at the precipice of going over a ledge and not being able to come back. Minority rule. The, the, this country is governed by a small fringe of people right now, a small group of people right now, who are keeping the majority of the country, what most people want in this country, which is unity, they want us to be number one. They want us to excel. They want us to have great infrastructure. They want us to have great business. They want us to have a great economy. And they're being restricted in their thinking and what they do because they're being co-opted by politicians who just want to stay in power. So I think the Democrats need to get their ass in gear. The Republican Party needs to have look, look in the mirror and get a reality check. Their ideas are not working. So that's why they're trying to restrict voting and getting keeping people from the polling places around the country. A little scary. It's, it's a little scary. But also right now what's happening in the country, the fringes of both parties need to realize that they, they don't run the party. They don't run the parties. And they're, they're killing it for the rest of us. Makes that, sense. They're, they're, it's awful. Yeah. Let's, let's move to a more personal and potentially harder topic. You know, you are a gay black man who's reached the pinnacle of the news <laughs> reporting industry who's reached the pinnacle of the news reporting industry. You think so? I think so. That's my phone, sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, what adversity have you faced in getting here? You know, what are, what are your learnings and how can we do better was, as a society? I was looking for a tissue, sorry. Um, well, one thing, let me, just go, let me just go back to something real quick that I, and then I will, I will talk to you about the adversity. But the reason I did this is because I met this guy at a, uh, at a convention earlier and he is a conservative from Alabama. And he said, um, he said, as I shared with you during our visit, I was especially thankful to have the chance to meet with you and to get, thank you very much, and to get to know you a bit. We all live in this filtered media world where oftentimes we are told to expect one thing, but in reality, things are much different. different. As a conservative Southerner, I am perhaps uniquely hamstrung, but equally appreciative of the good and thoughtful people. And I, and I now know that is who you are. Thank you for what you do and to keep and for being, wait, thank you for what you do 
and keep being real. So he thought that I was, because he, he watches Fox News all the time and what have you, so I had to, you know, I, met, I had this thing that I went to where it was different people, different Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so he thought that I was the caricature that Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or, or whomever that they spread about me, and I'm none of that. And so he was shocked. His, I, I, like the whole time I was like, okay, your wife is over there, go hang out with her. And he's like, I can't believe that you are not the person on television, like talk to me more about this. And he goes, you actually have great ideas. And I said, yeah, that's because you're sitting there watching the same thing, reaffirming your beliefs, and in a way, I think changing the structure of his brain. It was just weird. Like he was right. just, it was like almost like, like therapy. I felt like his therapist. But anyway, go on. You said, what are the unique well, challenges? So, so like, you know, you've achieved so much. That's one of the unique challenges, is that people believe stereotypes. People believe that I'm an overnight sensation, that I got my job because of affirmative action. When it, and actually, the, it was the opposite. It took me years to convince people that uh, as a black man and as a gay man, I kept that closet for a while, that I could actually carry a show by, by myself and in prime time. And once I started doing it and people started tuning in and engaging and the ratings were good and so on and so forth, it's like, wow, well, let's not just give this guy one hour, let's give him two hours. So not only am I the only black person in prime time on cable news, my friend Joy, who I love is in uh, early prime and, uh, at seven o'clock on MSNBC, but I, I, I'm the only person who has two hours and two successful hours in cable on television and then also doing two, two successful podcasts because I work my ass off and because I'm authentic. You may not like it, but many times the people who don't like it are the people who tune in the most. Right. Because they want, they, they, you know, they either hate watch or they're like, oh, I hate that. Don't, let, me, let me see what he has to say or what have you. But, uh, but it's also because I'm the same person on television as I am off television. And so I'm not faking it. I'm not doing things just to get clicks or to get ratings. If I make a mistake or if I go too far, then I, that's the same thing in my life. I'll say, you know, oh, Harry, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry. I'll do that on television. Or, you know, my friend Anna Navarro, yep. who I went to the Ricky Martin concert with last night, we have fights on TV. I'm like, Anna, you are totally wrong. And then people, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you. Leave Anna alone. Or are you hating? I'm like, no, get out of family business. Anna and I are best friends. We go to each other's homes. We hang out together. But we can have an argument. I argue with my mother. It doesn't mean that I hate her. I love her. That's how, it's being a human being. So I'm a human being on and off television. What you see is what you get in both in all places, wherever I am. But where do you, have you? Oh, so the unique challenges. Sorry, the unique challenges is that people think differently of me. There are different standards for me. There are different expectations. Black people expect me to be the, the representative for all black people. Gay people expect me to be the representative for all gay people. Um, white people are not used to seeing me in a platform or having the the. Um, the platform and the voice that I have or being able to state my point of view and, and sometimes opinions, it's okay for other people to be able to state their opinions, it's fine. You know, it's fine for, um, what was his name? Oh, Bill O'Reilly to be able to say, or even a white woman or whatever, because you're used to seeing them in that position. But when I say something that may be the exact same thing, <gasps> how dare he say it? So it's different for me, people aren't used to that. And they have become or are becoming used to it, but often the criticism to me, if you, if you actually look into the, the criticism and think about it and look at the, the comments, and so it's often based in racism and homophobia. And it's not that hard to figure out. The president of the United States, the former president of the United States calling me the dumbest man on television when I'm the only black man in, on cable at night in prime time says something. What is he saying? That black man is dumb. 
That's a racial stereotype. When people talk to me about, you know, when, when people criticize me for things that I say about, um, about the LGBTQ community on television, look at the comments. It's always some gross, even, even if it has nothing to do with that, some sort of gross sexual thing. Like me being gay, it's like, I'm, why is he taking people inside of his bedroom? I'm not. I'm sharing a picture of Tim and I at a concert. Don't you go to the concert with your wife? Of course, 100%. Does that have anything to do with what you do in the bedroom? Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Maybe later, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Ricky gets you all, yeah. She's like, oh my God, I love Ricky. Uh, oh, Enrique, Enrique. So that's good for you. I like that was a good answer. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, that's, so I have to deal with that and deal with people thinking, number one, um, you know, black men are more aggressive. All those stereotypes that you have to deal with are angry, the angry black men, all of those things. So yeah, it's different for me. It's different. Yeah. But you've gotten through it. I've gotten through it. Do you know why? From the first thing that you answer, I don't really give a shit. I don't read. I don't read the comments. I don't whatever. I don't care what you think about me. I know what I think about me, and I care about what I think about me, what Tim thinks about me, and what my mother thinks about me, and then my boss too. So, <laughs> hi Jeff. Maybe he's here. Uh, but that's it. I, every, everything else. So I have two taking in a slightly different direction. Yes. You your career spanned decades. You've yes. reported on. So many things, you know. I'm old. Well, no, you look good. Yeah, thank you. You look good. <laughs> um, you know, you've won awards, Edward R. Murrow Award for the DC Snipers. You won an Emmy for real estate in Chicagoland. An Emmy recently too, oh, for coverage of, of COVID. For coverage of COVID. Yeah, for our breaking news coverage. When you think elections, natural disasters, you've hosted a presidential debate. Um, You've had some of the most emotional and memorable stories. Yeah. What of these things, when you think back on your career, have really sort of sunk in where it wasn't just reporting, it was actually super meaningful to you? Oh, well, all of it is meaningful. You know, sometimes it's, you know, I'll sit here and I'm like, I can't believe people actually showed up to come see me. Um, I remember doing um, two things. One is... You know, I can always relate to the stories when I'm, when I'm there at the scene. That's always very emotional in the moment. I realized, um, you, you realize the impact of, some things you don't realize the impact until they're over. I realized the impact of COVID as I was covering it. I realized the impact of um, George Floyd and, and the protests and some of the rioting around the country. I realized in the, in the you know, people being gassed in the White House and all of that. I realized that in the moment. And it was kind of an out-of-body experience doing it. Some of it, because of, it was so urgent and breaking, I actually did from my home studio, which was weird sitting in my home in this little makeshift studio built in the backyard of the pool house. And I'm like covering these big world breaking news. And I didn't have that big CNN structure around me where, you know, it's like, oh, your mic, your IFB cable's coming out, whatever. And there's always someone there to fix it and tweak the lighting and whatever. And I'm sitting at home going, how does it look? Is it, uh, and, you know, so that was weird. Um, the other thing is, is that, I have to catch myself sometimes because I'm sitting there and I'm this little kid from Louisiana who was gay, right, and black, and they're like, you know, and debating the presidential debate moderator, Don Lemon, and I'm like, holy shit, that's me, right? And then, you know, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, and then he walks on and it's me, like, I'm like, oh shit, I've got to ask the questions of the president. And I can only think about Amazing. my mom sitting there 
at the edge of her bed like, holy shit, that's my son. So I don't really care about anybody else. I just don't want to screw up. I want to make, keep make her proud so that when she's on Facebook or she sees her friends that they're like, wow, Don is interviewing the president of the United States that I can make her proud that don't fuck that, fuck that up. That's amazing. That's, you didn't <laughs> sorry, I didn't expect to do that. No. So that's it. All right, so we're here at Ad Week, and we have to talk about Ad Week stuff, brands. Oh, jeez. Have to, have to switch topics. I got criticized last year when I did this. You know, like, you didn't talk about anything about for our industry. Yeah. For CMOs. Well, what about you? For me, I don't know. As I blow my nose, you have a big announcement. I'm like, wait a minute. We, uh, Should I be interviewing you? No, no, no. I mean, we announced this morning in the Wall Street Journal that we bought Stitcher ads. Um, congratulations. So that for us. I don't know what that means, but congratulations. And it sounds like a lot of money, but. It, it's, I feel very cash poor. If I have to report on yeah. it, I will. But I, I'm super excited. Good or bad. I think Look it's out. all good. All right, good. Lots of hope. Lots of hope for the future. <laughs> Congratulations, um, Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, brands are super conservative. They don't want to put their money on places like news because they're yeah. worried about being associated with things like black, gay, abortion. Yeah. Um, this is challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have, as a company, Cargo as a company, is believed that great editorial and journalism is at a cornerstone of our society. I think it's important for you as somebody who creates and leads that industry to sort of share your thoughts on how journalism needs to be supported by brands and advertisers and CMOs as, as sort of a, a need and a good, not only beyond the commerce of their business. And I wanted to get your thoughts, you know, sitting there and leading this industry, you know, what are your thoughts on sort of what I call sort of brand censorship of the news media? What do you mean? You so brands basically decide, they, they work oh, with yeah. third-party companies, and they block running on the stories that you report on. Yeah, and Because I, they think it's too, they don't like to be around black, yeah. gay, abortion, trauma, I get it, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So I remember when I did, years ago, I did a special on the N-word, which people loved. Like, social media went crazy, everybody's discussing it or whatever, and then it was, I, I think, I'm not, I don't want to speak out of school, I think it was tough to get advertisers on board because it was Very a special tough. about the N-word, and I actually used the N-word, and we did the history of the N-word, we talked about it or whatever. So um, I think that, I think that, number one, it's uh, short-sighted because that's when people actually tune in, that's when people lean in. Right, that's where the ratings right, are. Right, that's where the ratings are, it, it, you know, it, it, if, uh, if you want people to, if you want eyeballs. Um, but I think that brands need to support journalism. We are, the, we are um, one of the only, my job is protected by the First Amendment. And so everyone should be supportive of that. Brands should be supportive of, supportive of that. And also supportive of free speech and freedom of expression. Because brands want fans. They want, you want people to buy your product, but you also want people who are fans of your product. Right? That's why I always tell people I'm a Delta whatever, because I love Delta Airlines because they're good to me. Now, I don't get to fly them that much anymore, but every time someone says, I'm like, Delta. And they say, where do you want to go? We're going to pay Delta, because they're good to me, right? And so um, I, I think that you, if you want fans, then you lean into the culture. You support this. Not, it's not supposed to be a business. But you support journalism because journalism is, that's the only thing that's gonna save the republic. It's by being the, the industry that's able to, the institution, I should say, that 
tells the truth, keeps the electorate informed, and also can actually change a narrative, uh, I think that you need to be able to support, you should support that, because it's only good for your brand. And especially now with the way that culture is changing, and if you don't believe in this whole thing, I don't believe in cancel culture, I believe in accountability culture. If you don't believe in that, then the best way to not believe in it is to be bold and to support the institution of journalism. Because that is the only one that is protected. Even what you do is not protected by the First Amendment. Mine is. And so we should respect that. If you respect the Constitution and you respect what this country was built on and what it's about, then you need to support the, the institution, not business, not industry, the institution of journalism. That can only be good for all of us, and especially for business. I think that's all she wrote, people. So thank you so much. For that's today. it? Thanks for that. That's it. Thank you for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com and follow us on social media. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.